This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we've got a return guest on the podcast. He is the one and only John Eldridge. This is his fourth appearance on the show, which makes him the number one most appeared person on this podcast ever. This guy is incredible. If you don't know who he is, he is a Christian author, counselor, and lecturer. He's a New York Times bestselling author of a large number of books, workbooks, and group studies. And he wrote the seminal work in men's ministry history, which is Wild at Heart, which came out, I guess, 20-something years ago now. But he's also the author of a brand new book, which is out this week. If you're listening to this on time, it's called Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. He also has books that you guys have probably heard of, like Beautiful Outlaw, Waking the Dead, Fathered by God, and a bunch of other things. And again, like I told you he's been on this podcast a bunch he was on episodes 141 193 and 272 and now on this one but with this interview it started with something kind of rough so we talked about the mass shooting in Evaldi, texas which again as of the recording of this podcast was only a couple of days ago but by the time you hear this it will have happened you know weeks and weeks ago and so the you know the news cycle will have turned over by then but it has a lot of I needed some wisdom from John in those moments to kind of talk through that because we're getting a lot of political posturing right now from both sides of the aisle, but we're not getting a whole lot of wisdom. We're not getting a whole lot of sober, sober minded wisdom. And so I wanted to make sure we got that from John. But when we dig into the book again, you guys know this by now we've talked about resilience so much on this podcast. We don't talk about strength. We talk about resilience. Why is resilience so important, but it's the time we're living in now coming off two years of the government basically telling us how much of life that we could enjoy and do because of the C word, right? And you got to get the V word if you want to, you know, live a good life and all those different things. And I understand that. But this, this book is so important for the time we're living in now because a lot of us have no idea how to navigate what's currently happening. And we also have no idea about the storm that's coming. We have no idea about what is going to happen to us as a people that we haven't even seen yet. You know, we talk about supply chains and it's like, oh, you can't just turn the spigot back on. You know, there's going to be kind of this delayed issue with supply chains. The same thing happens with the personality and the philosophies of a people group. And there are so many things that we're going to have to be dealing with, with our children, with ourselves, with the, the least of these in our society, but also to the people that are running society that we can't even fathom right now. But there is an aftershock coming. And so John's going to help us traverse that. So guys, I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. John Eldridge, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Yeah, man. Good to see you, Kyle. So the cool thing about this appearance, because I know you keep track of these types of things. There are a few people that have been on my show three times. So there's Mike Ritland, retired Navy SEAL and dog trainer. There's Holly McKay, war correspondent. And then there's John Eldridge. But today, John, marks your fourth appearance. On Undaunted Life of Man's podcast, you have shot ahead of the pack. So let me be the first one to congratulate you, sir. You're a big deal. Well, I'm giving you a case discount. 
I, I know, like I, we haven't got to the full case of 12 yet. We are slowly working our way there, but we will get there eventually. Uh, now, I, I had to kind of start on, on somewhat of a positive note because the very first thing I want to talk to you about is, is horrific. Um, and as I was preparing for this interview, I, I couldn't get this out of my head in the preparation. And I think you know exactly what I'm going to say. So as of the recording of this interview, Two days ago, uh, we saw one of the the worst displays of evil that we've seen ever in this country, and that was the mass murder that took place at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. So uh, by the time this episode comes out, John, uh, the news cycle will have turned over multiple times. There's going to be a hundred other things that people will be outraged about by then. But as of the recording of this interview, a lone 18-year-old gunman who showed a lot of signs of mental issues, no father at home, like all these typical things. He went into an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. This was after he shot and tried to kill his grandmother. He rammed through the gate, went in, barricaded himself in a classroom, systematically murdered 19 elementary age students and two teachers before he himself was killed by a good guy with a gun and off-duty, I believe, Border Patrol agent at the time. And so some of it has to do with what we're going to be talking about today, uh, the book that we're going to be talking about, which I'm excited to talk about. But I can't I can't shake this, John, and I don't know that I should try to, but as we were talking about off air, I have two sons now. I have I have a two-year-old and a two-month-old, and my wife is sitting there, you know, with all the the stress we have going on in our lives right now. She's like, but at least our kids aren't murdered. And it's just like, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, I'm just trying to keep my emotions in check, even asking you about it. So part of me just needs John Eldridge, the counselor, to counsel me in this moment and also to the loads of people that are listening to this episode how do we how do we deal with something like this how how do we reckon with this kind of evil uh take a baseball bat to a trash can yeah uh, I, I i like i like i literally actually mean that that's what i do <clears throat> you have to have an outlet for the rage on the evil and we can't go deal with it directly right now so you can't keep that pent up in your it's literally in your body now, like you feel the tension in your body. So yesterday I didn't have my, I, I literally have a baseball bat in the garage next to my trash can. We have those big recycling plastic things. I beat that thing up so many times because you've got to have an outlet for it. You, 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 and then you have to grieve. You have to grieve that you will store trauma inside of you if you do not grieve it. And so there has to be, you pause in your day and you just grieve it. You just say, God, this is so horrible. I grieve this. That's all it takes. This is so horrible. I grieve this. I would do those two things. I think for a lot of guys, you know, I talk about jujitsu a lot on this podcast. I talk about powerlifting, rucking, all these different things. That has to be your outlet, especially if you're wired like me, like way too much emotion, way too much anger, very few ways of getting it out in a positive way. But when you pick something very heavy up off the ground and then you slam it back down and then you do it repeatedly, yeah. when you have a heavy bag in your garage or a baseball bat in a trash can. I, th I think that's something that, that it works towards. But there's a through point in this story. And, and as by the time, again, that this comes out, we'll know way, way, way more about the, the killer. We'll know way more about the, the students, that area, you know, his background and all that. But almost every single young man, because it's almost always a young man that does this type of evil, there is no father. Yep. There is no Christ-centered environment anywhere around this person. Uh, this person is 
you know, castigated out of society. Maybe they're a little weird. Maybe, maybe they, they do things a little differently. They go by the beat of their own drummer. And then when you couple that with the influence of the evil one, which we'll get into a lot more here with, with the book, you get this unbelievable combination, this witch's brew uh, of evil that comes out in this rageful way. And right now everyone's, you know, that's pretending like they actually care about kids. They're wanting to talk about taking away gun rights and taking away all these things, but no one's talking about mental illness. Seemingly no one's talking about the fatherlessness epidemic. These are things that you've been talking about literally for decades. Don't you see that in some of these issues that come up? Yep. Yep. Full tilt. You just go to any prison in the world. The majority of men there are fatherless. I mean, the data is overwhelming, but let me, let me get, so guys are going, what do we do? What do we do? Let me tell you a very cool story. So I went to a memorial service of a friend last week who finally succumbed to cancer, but he, he was, he was, he lived a full, full, amazing life. And there were stories told at this service I had never heard. So get this, um, 12 year old boy loses his dad. This guy, this, my friend doesn't even know the family. He calls the mother up and says, I'd like to be a friend to your son. Can I take him on some hiking trips that we're doing? So he reached out to prevent fatherlessness. So this boy, right entering the teenage years, 12 years old, loses his dad in a hiking accident. And my friend reaches out to the mom and they were in young life. So there was, you know, she didn't have to do like a background check, but like Mm -hmm. reaches out and and says, look, your son's going to need some male influence in his life. I just like to be his friend. I never knew that story. That is an awesome story. Like we can do that guys. We can do that. We, we can be part of the answer by providing fathering, not just to our, our biological kids or our adopted or our foster kids, but, but check out that teenage boy in your neighborhood who doesn't look like he's doing well and like take him to the lake, man. Take, take him out for ATVs. Like just, you know, say, Hey, you want to go off roading this weekend? You want to go do something together? Like just bring him into the fold. Somehow. Right. Uh, and I mean, I talk about it this way, like this is how I'm going to talk about with my boys is like, if everybody else is bullying the kid, even if you're the funny one in the group, even if you're the one that can give the best zingers, you're going to be the kid that stands up for that kid. Even yep. if you don't like him, even if you think his clothes are weird, even if he smells funny, yep. you're going to be the kid that befriends that kid. Cause that, that could be the relationship that changes an entire multitude of lives. <clears throat> I've even got a buddy named Aldo that He's, he doesn't have a, a wide uh, background in baseball, but he's, he's a little league coach right now. And, you know, the team's not doing great. I mean, we're in an area where there's a lot of really good baseball coaches and good young baseball players, but he's not overwhelmingly uh, obsessed with, you know, balls and strikes and stolen bases and batting average. He's very obsessed with these kids coming together and playing together and learning how to play with one another. And he's doing that with like six, seven, eight year olds. And this is a guy who's retired military. And so he's like, he knows the lessons that are going to project these people into, uh, you know, most of these kids aren't going to be major leaguers, right? But all of them hopefully are going to be adults someday. They're going to be workers. They're going to be dads or they're going to be husbands. And it's, it's having that type of focus. And so again, there's no great way to transition out of that. 
but we, we do need to transition into what we're going to be talking about today, which is your new book, which I think addresses a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about, especially in this moment that we're living in in 2022. And it's a book called Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. Thank you so much for sending this to me. I'm so glad that I got to check this out. It's, a, it's one of the books you're doing with Thomas Nelson. So for you specifically, why write this book and w why write it now? Because if you listen to your third appearance on our show, uh, you could tell that this book was coming, even yeah. though you didn't make the announcement, right? But why yeah. now? Yeah, because the world is in global denial. That's why. Yeah. The human race has a phenomenal capacity for denial. It's just amazing. So we just came through two years of global trauma the pandemic, the politics, the crazy, the working at home, the kids at home, all that madness, okay? That depleted our reserves. Everybody's reserves are pretty shot right now. And you see it on the highway, you see it on social media, like people are not doing well, okay? You gotta have some point in your, in your life, gang, where you replenish those reserves. You can't just keep running on fumes. And I noticed this in a lot of ways in my life, I used to have a little bit of margin for irritating people. I got, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got nothing now, yeah. right? Yeah. And like, I'll pick up my phone to text someone and I won't even remember who I was going to text. The mental fragmentation. And then as soon as that, as soon as that story, you know, of Texas hits the, the news, I, part of me just went, I, I, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, Stace and I have been praying, but we have we have really wrung ourselves out. And it's not just the pandemic and all that stuff. Like the crazy of what we consider to be a normal world. You talk about this in your podcast all the time. The world is blowing up. That's a very draining place to live in. And, and if you're going to live in it well, you have to develop resilience. You can't, re you can't develop resilience in denial. Right. You, you got to You got to replenish your reserves, gay. Yeah. I mean, that's a quote right from the intro of your book. But right now we're in a sort of global denial about the actual cost of these hard years. It's whistling past the graveyard. That's what we're doing right now. Like this isn't a big deal. The lockdowns were necessary. Keeping your kids masked up like all this was necessary because of public health or something. But I, I do find it interesting because obviously from the very beginning of this ministry, from the very beginning of Undaunted Life in 2017, believe it or not, we've been talking about resilience and yeah. not strength. And so I know why I talk about resilience and not strength, but why are you talking about, because you could have just named this book strength, right? And people would have gotten it. You would have been able to put an entire book together around strength. Why is resilience so much more appropriate in this moment? Well, because strength will last for a day, but resilience rebounds, right? That's why. It, it, resilience is an internal state of being whereby you are not thrown by the next thing. Because, gang, it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And like you said, the news cycle is just going to go on. Here's, you want some crazy? No one even cares what's going on in Ukraine anymore. No. It's old news. Right. And, and, and Afghanistan and, is super duper old news. Yeah, which is even more tragic. Yeah. Right. Right. So the thing is, like, you know, it's going to be the next thing tomorrow, folks. And then it's going to be the next thing after that. And then it's going to be something in your kid's school or your family's life. It's going to be the cancer. Or, and, and if you 
intentionally develop resilience, you won't be thrown. If you don't, you're running on fumes, man. I think, yeah, I jotted it down here, draining, like the, the draining of something. So I, the way I talk about it is to look at the world's strongest man every year. So, uh, or the, the Arnold classic or the Europe strongest man, those are kind of the top three strongman competitions. The day after those, like, I think Martins Leedsies is trying to win all three of those this year, a former world's strongest man, one of the greatest strongmen ever. Um, <clears throat> the day after that competition, he's not the strongest man in the world anymore. Because his body is drained. His yep. body is broken down. Yep. But he's a resilient athlete. If you give him yes. two weeks of recovery and stretching out and water, guess what? He's going to come back and be the strongest man in the world again. Okay. That's the word. Recovery. Yep. So you read any athletic training stuff, guys. You mm -hmm. read, like, read the top athletic trainers, and they will tell you that the key to athletic performance is recovery. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the training. It's the recovery. The recovery period is more important than the training because otherwise you're just tearing your body down, right? If, if you let your body recover, you build resilience, right. okay? No, people don't have recovery built into their lifestyle, right? right? They just, they're just stuck on go. And, well, and the, well, I was going to say, it's, it, it used to be diet and exercise, and now smart people are diet, exercise, recovery. They're like, guys, like you're doing all the extra sets in the gym and that's great. I need you to get an extra hour of sleep because that is, that's like HGH. That's like natural human growth hormone. That's like a natural testosterone boost. You're trying to get it from bottles and from pills and from the secret powder you bought from Russia. It's like, no brother, like what you need is you need to sleep. You need to turn yeah. everything off. But I mean, you talk about that so much in the book, John, we can't do those things, but also our resilience can, I think you use the word evaporate that our resilience can evaporate in a moment why are we so susceptible to even the buildup of our resilience to be able to just disappear almost immediately? Well, it's, it's like a compromised immune system. You know, if you keep taking your body through stress, you're going to compromise your immune system to the point that you, you, you're not going to recover well. And, and that's what we've got in modern life. What people think, what people think is a normal life. Right. You get up, you check the news, you have a cup of coffee, you blast to work, you listen to the talk radio, da, 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 you yeah. know, it's go, 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 you know, and then you just pass out in bed at night. It's like falling off a cliff. I just, I get to the end of my day and I fall off a cliff and I wake up the next morning. You know, that is madness. You cannot live like that. And so I just, I just wanted to sound the alarm call and just look, can we be honest people? You can't live like that and develop resilience. John, it seems like the last several books that you've offered to the world have been in that vein, yep. whether you're talking about, you know, <clears throat> just basically how to get that breathing room or how to kind of do, do life with other men or, or how to be resilient. It's because of that. But I think it couldn't be coming at a more appropriate time. So I want to read this quote to you and kind of get to my question. Here's a quote from early in the book. The first stage of the coming storm is this. We've all run out to find life and joy following years of stress, trauma, and deprivation, but it isn't working. It won't work. We return to our normal Monday through Friday disappointed. Disappointment will become disillusionment, which makes us extremely vulnerable to our enemy. So in our last time that we chatted, John, you mentioned this, right? 
And I think some people were like, ah, no, you know, I'm just kind of doing me, man. I'm kind but you mentioned people going out and buying sports cars. They can't keep sports cars, you know, in stock and, you know, people going out and doing these vacations and every Airbnb is full and every, you know, trailhead is full of people and people are doing this and, oh, Joe Rogan talked about hunting again. So I'm gonna go get my compound bow and get my hunt on. And then we get these people that after all that excitement, after all that, you know, tangible stuff that's getting them excited and getting them half erect and all that, they're the same person. They come back and when all the lights are out and it's just them and their brain, they're more disillusioned than they've ever been. And then Satan's like, perfect. Yep. The timing is perfect. Yep. Yep. And then you get everybody tapping out. You get guys tapping out of their marriages, guys tapping out of church, just tapping out, right? They're just like, I'm done. I got nothing for you, man. Yeah. Big time. So New York Times ran an article on this. Um, but I personally, just anecdotally, I, I know a lot of therapists. I do not know anyone in the mental health profession that has an opening. Right. <laughs> well, folks, I, like that may not be you. That may not be where you are, but that tells you where the world is. You go, this is a draining place to live. So what's your plan? What's your plan, people? They don't have a plan. And- I have people that are in that space and they'll do me a favor if I need them to come over and talk me off the ledge or something like that. I know that, but they're adding to their day. They're yep. going to lose an hour with family or lose an hour of sleep or something like that to do a solid for me. But if I was just Joe client, like there's no way they would really get into that. Um, I think it has a lot to do, John, with how we're, we're constructing our days and we're not allowing ourselves the, the mental breathing room to be able to cultivate things like mental resilience, which I've been talking about for years, which I'm so glad that you, even in your book, use the phrase cultivating mental resilience. So I want to read this quote to you because I think it speaks right to it. If you spend 30 minutes a day consuming what is called the news, this includes all social media, then you need to spend more than 30 minutes, maybe twice as much in the scriptures or listening to biblical podcasts. Instead of using your downtime scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, use it to read something that reminds you of the story of God, a psalm, a good sermon, even a simple quote. I think this is convicting for a lot of people in our audience, certainly convicting for me, because to do what I do, to put out the the po you know the podcast that I do and the, the writing that I do, I have to consume, or at least I think I have to consume so much stuff because my audience is dependent on it. Every time I get a positive review or a positive email from someone, they're like, thank you so much for spending the time digging into this because I don't have that time. Thank you for helping me through that. But I got to tell you, turning my brain off at the end of the day, John, it's almost impossible. And so I'm soaking myself in the social media news feed or in the 24-hour news cycle and not as much in the Psalms or in a good sermon or something like that. And it, it does take its toll and it, it's a hard thing to get past. Yeah, it is. It is. So turn to nature and turn to music. Like music, there's fascinating studies on what music does for the brain. Beautiful music, not heavy metal, but something that's like you like. Um, find your style you like, but that when you listen to it, it calms you down, guys. Seriously, like play it in your car, play it in your headphones when you're on the treadmill. Like you turn to some things that bring down the cortisol, that calm your brain down, okay? Nature is phenomenal for this. If you, know, if you run, take it outside, right? It, it, if you bike, get off the Peloton and take it outside. Get out in the real world and let it have a healing effect on you. 
Stace and I just got back from Ireland. We did a, a conference over there. But what was amazing to me was the effect of the beauty. I didn't know I was starved. I didn't know that I was literally starving. And then we get dropped into this, you know, it's the Emerald Isle, right? It's like everywhere you go, it's just green, green, green. It is gorgeous. And, you know, it's, everything's blooming. And, and it was, I was just nourished. And I wasn't even like hiking. We were just driving through the countryside and it was doing its thing. It was nourishing my soul. So, you, yeah, you got you to gotta have a plan, guys. You got to have a plan. Yeah, because most guys are just kind of amoebaing their way through through daily life, and they're just doing what they can to get past the next hour. And by the way, guys, if you've never been to Ireland, you don't understand what the word green means. You just don't get it. Everything there is super duper green, and that's you know, uh, having been there, it was such an amazing thing. I can't wait to go back. But and this this might kind of have something to do with what we started off the show with. But there's a tremendous amount. Uh, there's a lacking of resilience all over society. But I think it's incredibly pervasive, especially with our young people. So I thought this was a very appropriate chunk. So uh, indulge me as I read through this a little bit as well from your book. The director of a program designed to prepare freshmen for the college years told me recently, 18 is the new 12. 18 is the new 12. Our students are emotionally underdeveloped. They're much less resilient than any we've ever encountered. And I'm not entirely sure why. And then you, you'd go into, there are many reasons, of course, Human beings are beautifully complicated, but honestly, when you grow up in a world where everything is done with a few clicks on your phone, it doesn't exactly develop resilience. Anyone living in the developed world has experienced a level of ease unimaginable to previous generations. This is the overnight delivery age. Let me be quick to say I have fully enjoyed all the conveniences of our modern moment, but I'm also aware that they've made me soft. The web we have caught uh, that we have been caught in was years in the making, a brilliant interlacing of the comfort culture and the babble of technology at our fingertips. By way of contrast, the World War II generation emerged from the Great Depression with a sense of reality, grit, and resilience. Maybe my second favorite world word in the English language after resilience is grit, and there's none of it, but- when, as soon as I heard that quote, 18 is the new 12, reading through John, Jonathan Heights, the coddling of the American mind and talking to, to teachers and professors, that makes perfect sense. These kids are emotionally 12 years old. And that makes me scared for the next generation of, of our country. Not just, you know, uh, you know, what we're talking about in terms of a book, John. No kidding. No kidding, man. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going actually to the guys listening to this right now because you you have to start with you and you and you go guys do you cut your own grass like is your whole world automated is everything just a click away you actually need to change that so when when we're done when we're done with this podcast we had a big storm here over the weekend and I got a ton of branches down in my yard now I could hire the the local you know kid that comes through and 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 does yard work, but I'm going to go do it myself. Hmm. Why? Because everything easy is not good. It's not good. I got to go out there and bitch a little bit and sweat and clean up my yard. Right. Yeah. Right. So again, you know, it's like, well, what's your plan? Your plan is to get some of the comfort out of your life. I know that sounds crazy, but honestly, you just can't have everything cushy, everything nice, right? So what, you know, again, if you don't work out, work out. If you work out inside, take it outside. 
If you don't cut your own grass, cut your grass, man. Like if you don't change your oil, change your oil. Like just do things that are inconvenient because it, it will build that. I absolutely agree with you. And we live in this moment where we don't have to shoot an animal for our food. We don't have to do that. We can go to, you know, uh, you know, something covered in cellophane or plastic or something like that. And somebody else killed the animal and we didn't have to deal with any of the ickiness, but there's something, uh, there's a great book, um, called the comfort crisis where, uh, Michael Easter was talking about this concept of a misogi. And so it's like, you, you go through this event where there's a 50, 50 chance of you being able to complete it. And so back in the day that was called life. There's a 50-50 chance me and my buddies, uh, some of which are my family, are going to be able to take down that mammoth and feed our tribe for the week, right? <clears throat> but now it's something that we have to train for and we get to put on the calendar. And then we get we get to talk about on Instagram and we get to do a Facebook Live and invite everybody into this really hard thing that we're going to do. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Just because we have to plan, just because we have to train for it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because you will always go back into your brain, into those times where there was this devastation that you brought on yourself that you made it through because it sets you up for times like what you went through in the summer of 2021. There were some devastations for you emotionally that you apparently did not bring upon yourself just by virtue of the life you led and the people you were around, things didn't work out the way you would have planned for. And so that was a very vulnerable and transparent part of the book, John, that you were right in, in the thick of all the, the changing world and, and the COVID culture we were living in. You were going through it. You were going through the ringer. You didn't give a lot of details. You don't have to give details here, but kind of take us through that because you became disillusioned. You, you felt betrayed. You felt abandoned. And you were in this very, very vulnerable st state where Satan could have been like, again, the timing is perfect. John's all mine, but you yep. didn't let it happen that way. So take yep. us through that. Yep. Okay. So um, leading researcher on burnout says that burnout takes place primarily through a thousand disappointments. If you do not deal with your disappointments, they catch up to you and they bite you in the butt. And I just, I just hit overload. It was just one too many heartaches, one too many people failing me. And I was ready to tap out. I don't mean take my own life. But I mean, from faith, I mean, I mean, maybe from my marriage, I just, I'm like, I'm done, man. I'm so sick of this stuff. And here's the thing, guys, like you live in a world at war. You have an enemy. He hates your guts. And he puts certain things in the air in different cultures and at different times. If, you, if you've ever been into Buenos Aires, holy cow, man, there is no more sexual city than I've ever been in. It's just, you walk into that city and it's sexual, it's seduction. You go into Johannesburg, it's violence. Johannesburg is a scary place, man, especially after dark. Okay, so, but in, so he puts things into the air and what he's got in the air right now is despair, discouragement, hopelessness, that kind of stuff, right? I came under it. I took a full hit of that stuff. And, and it wasn't, I, what did I do? I texted my friends. I said, Mayday, I need prayer. I am not in a good place. And, and then I know, I know because we taught on this a bunch, the category of agreements. You've got to be really careful with the agreements that you make in those moments. Like, I'll never get out of this. She doesn't love me. You know, the world will never change. Those are agreements. And if you make them, you just start spiraling down. 
So I had to stop in that moment. I'm literally sitting, the moment we're describing, I'm sitting in my truck in the parking lot of the local park because that's where I pulled over in a moment of despair. And I'm like, okay, 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 hang on. I'm going to text my friends and I'm going to break these agreements. Break the agreement that my life sucks. I break the agreement that these people are not, you know, and then on and on it goes, right? So what are the agreements you are making that are just adding to your nosedive? You got to name it and start breaking. You've talked a lot about agreements. Really, everyone in your organization <clears throat> spent a lot of time on that. And it brings up the the necessity of having what we call a foxhole. And that's men in your life that are constantly pushing you daily to cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And it's the difference between a 6 a.m. friend and a 3 a or 6 p.m. friend and a 3 a.m. friend. A lot of guys today have 6 p.m. friends that you can call them and they'll help you move a refrigerator or help you with a tax question or something like that. But after 6 p.m., they're not really available to you. But then the 3 a.m. guy, that's the guy that not only when you call him at 3 a.m. does he answer, but you can hear him getting his pants on, putting his, his gun into the appendix position, and he's grabbing a shovel because he's assuming we're burying a body where we're dealing with some crap because it's 3 a.m. and my buddy's calling me. You got to have those guys in your life. And guys, we've talked about that a lot on previous podcasts. We won't go into that here. I think the most, I guess, frightening thing that came up for me in reading this book, John, is the reality and the truth that we haven't seen anything yet. And so you have this quote in there from Laura Van Der Noot Lipsky, who's the founder and director of Trauma Stewardship Institute. Here's her quote, or uh, here's the quote that you attributed. Lipsky has spent decades helping people navigate the consequences of natural disasters, mass shootings, and other crises, wrote Pulitzer Prize winner Ed Yong. As hard as the initial trauma is, she said, it's the aftermath that destroys people, right? So it's like, uh, it's like you have the earthquake, then you have the aftershock, right? And so- there is a coming storm that I think we should all be concerned about. But John, what's actually coming? Because, you know, you, you kind of danced around it with that quote, but like, what's coming? What, what do we need to batten down the hatchets and prepare for? <clears throat> well, so a couple things are coming. I, I think we haven't paid the psychological bill for the last two years. So I think you're going to see a lot of burnout, despair, uh, the tapping out that we talked about, just on just on a just on a neighborhood level, just people not doing great, okay. And then people not doing great leads people to do really dumb stuff. They start drinking too much, they have an affair, you know, they go blow their money in Vegas. So some of that, some of that. But here's the thing: I I think what's also coming, it, it I think more shaking is in the cards for us. The pandemic was a shaking. I think more is coming. And that's why resilience is so important. You, you build resilience now because you don't know what next week's going to be like. Is it the economy next time around? You know, now they're talking about this monkey flu virus thing, whatever, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think... The thing, I guess the thing I'm most concerned about, uh, Kyle, is it, Paul in 2 Thessalonians says, before the great day when the Lord returns, he says, before all that, there's going to be a massive turning away from faith. People of faith are going to bail. And I'm getting these texts and emails every week. Mature people saying, 
yeah, I don't know. God, that God, you know, God's just not, he's not close right now. I don't, I don't know. I'm not that interested. It's really heartbreaking. Some of these people are, are friends of mine. And, and so I think that's part of what's coming. Why did you use the word shaking? Well, <clears throat> why did I use the word shaking? I'll be honest with you, because when I was praying about the pandemic, that's what God called it. He okay. said it, it was a shaking. Because what the pandemic revealed was our divided allegiances. I mean, everybody, come on, you got exposed where you go for comfort and where you go for security. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody, like, where'd you go? You were, you were masturbating more, you were binging on alcohol, you were totally checked out on Netflix. Where'd you go, right? Where'd you go for comfort? Where'd you go for security? It was a shaking, okay? That's a very interesting word choice. That's why I, I guess I keyed in on it because, yeah, you know, during the pandemic, like I, I went physical because that's where I find comfort is in athleticism and, and powerlifting and jujitsu and the things that you can control with that. But I want to make a, a point and then come back to that. You know, that's with physical resilience is you don't know when your body's going to need that physical resilience. When you talk to trauma surgeons or something like that, when you have these people that have these very virile and gritty bodies and they go through like a car accident or something like that, their body's able to adapt to the recovery process even faster. Um, you know, whenever I had surgery and, you know, I basically had to build myself back up uh, with pull-ups and deadlift and all that, it was the years, the decades of training prior to that, that made that process a lot easier than somebody who basically never spent any time in the gym. But I want to talk about shaking, and I'm glad you brought this up because there's a movement. I wasn't planning on talking to you about this. The deconstruction movement within evangelicalism, it's popular. It's, a, it's, a, it's become a popular hashtag, exvangelical. So you have these people that, in my estimation, are obsessed with pleasing the, the moral betters, supposedly, of society who all happen to be secular humanists and say, you know what? I looked into the Bible and I, I learned a little bit of Greek and I don't agree with what my church taught me growing up. I've been damaged somehow. I've victimized and also I am a victimizer. I've deconstructed my faith and won't you know, I didn't find anything worth hanging on to. All these deconstructionists somehow don't ever build something back up that's stronger than it was before. And I've had some conversations with some people here recently that'll be coming out where we talk specifically about deconstruction. And a lot of people in the church are making that like their thing. It was like posting the black square on Instagram two years ago. Oh, I'm deconstructing right now. So I can't really talk about that any further because I'm still trying to figure me out. I feel like Satan is all over the deconstruction movement, obviously. Am I nuts? No, no, because they're not reconstructing. Exactly. That's the problem is, is that <clears throat> this is very, very close. I have very close people to me doing this right now. And the problem is, it's the zeitgeist. It's, it's the Kool-Aid. It's yep. in the air, folks. It's what we are breathing. This is the toxic stuff of unbelief and despair and discouragement. But here's the, okay, so this is why we keep going back to the mental health thing. When I talk to those people, there is always a disappointment beneath it all. This isn't intellectual Come on. In the end of the day, people don't live by that. It is, it is some sort of loss, setback, heartache. And, and here's the thing, Kyle. <clears throat> Everybody has an ace. Everybody has an ace that they hold out against God. And they say, I'll believe you're good when I get married. 
I believe you're good when you heal my mom of cancer. I'll believe everybody has this ace, right? And when that doesn't happen, this is where they start the deconstructing stuff, right? But it doesn't start intellectually. It starts with some sort of heartache. It starts with some sort of dis discouragement. And, and it's like, God, you, you didn't come through. I didn't get that job. I, I, I didn't get promoted. I, I, you know, what on and on and on and on and on. <clears throat> the dis, the dis, discouragement is real. But where you're going with it is a total train wreck. I absolutely agree with that. And I was just jotting this down as you were saying, it's the weakness of the foundations of their salvation to begin with. And so I, I've, I've been listening to a lot of people that are kind of, you know, reformed Calvinists, these types of people. And, you know, when you listen to someone like John MacArthur, a giant of the faith, say something like, you think all you have to do is just pray a prayer and, and that you're a Christian. It's not, you know, prayer plus works gets you to heaven, but it's like, we're not seeing any fruit. And, you know, I have this dissonance with stuff like that, but you see these people that prayed a prayer at church camp when they were a teenager. And then as a 25 year old, they didn't get the job. And all of a sudden they're thinking that God doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, someone close to them died suddenly. Yep. And then all of a sudden their, their entire worldview falls apart. And that's where I feel like these people that have, that have a deep theological understanding of their faith, that's how they create spiritual resilience. Because when these things happen, Oh, I sprained my ankle you know, everybody pray for me. It's like, no, like that, like, I feel like it's a much, much deeper thing. It's, it's a, of all the negative things that deconstruction has caused, I think the positive thing is showing people like, look, if you're not like reinforcing your faith with truce, if you're not spending time marinated in the scriptures, you're going to get snatched up by Satan at some point. Right? Yep. Yeah. This is Jeremiah 17. <clears throat> he describes two types of people. There's the tumbleweeds and then there's the people who are trees planted by the river who flourish in any season. I think he also says in times of drought, they flourish. So that's resilience. Well, they're planted in God and they're planted in his word. See, here's, this is so simple. Here's the basic mistake people make. How do I fit a little bit of God in my life? Right, I've got a really busy life. I got a lot of demands. I'll squeeze in a, a Saturday night service, or I'll, I'll listen to a podcast, or like, how do I fit a little bit of spirituality into my life? And I, I just got to tell you, that's not going to work. That won't work. It's 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 literally bass backwards. I mean, you you have to do the opposite. You start with a life that is grounded in God. And from there, you build outwards. It's not, how do I cram a, a quick prayer on the way to work? It, it doesn't work. It doesn't. Now, he's super kind, and he'll often come through for you anyways. But, um, but yeah, we just have to get real that we have not built reality into our spiritual lives. You live in a world at war. You have foul beings that hate your guts, hate your family's guts. Live like that. Get serious, folks. 
Yeah, that section of the book was actually very huge for me. And I guess this is a a good time to point out, like, we're literally just scratching the surface on this book, gentlemen. So that's why I always put the books in the show notes, because we're basically going over the 30,000 foot view, and I'm just dropping down here or there. But that is a mistake that a lot of people make, because I, I even think of my own internal dialogue over the last several months, you know, now that we have two children. And so I'm like, basically taking complete care of the two-year-old, so my wife can care for the newborn. And now it's like, oh my gosh, that little bit of time that I thought I had is now even farther away. Like people are like spending three hours watching, you know, Stanley cup playoff games right now. I'm like, how do you have three hours to sit around and only watch the television? This is insane to me, but it's like, I'm trying to think like, when can I squeeze in a little bit more Jesus? When can I squeeze in a little bit more of a podcast or a little bit more apologetic study or something like that? And you're right. It's bass backwards. It's something that really, really is hard for us to wrap our minds around. Now to the adept reader of your book and listener of my show, there's going to be something that I got to ask you about because they're going to think I gave you a pass if I didn't ask about it. So earlier this year, very, very long story short, I had a, a guy on this podcast named Crispin Mayfield. He wrote a book called Attached to God. It's an entire book about attachment theory. But this guy is very left-leaning, you know, a church in Portland, LGBTQ affirming the whole nine yards. But at one point in that book, he says that God told him one day, I'm your mother now. And I asked him about that on the podcast. And it's like, well, you know, when the disciples asked like, Hey, how, how do we pray? It said, you know, started with, you know, our father, Lord in heaven. And, you know, he's constantly referred to as father, but you spend basically an entire chapter talking about mother love, right? And if you don't read the chapter very in depth, or if you're not paying a lot of attention, you might come away thinking, Oh my gosh, John Eldridge, John Eldridge is devolving into a Crispin Mayfield, this very kind of left leaning, almost woke ideology when it comes to the gender of God or these types of things. So, Give us a little bit of a background. Again, we're not going to get into the whole philosophy of mother love and all that, but give us an idea of what you were communicating. Because I think even in the same chapter of the book, you talked about our God, our loving father, you, you're using the male pronouns, but get a little bit more into that just so my guys don't lose their minds. Okay. So two things. First off, let me assure you, Hebrews 1, in the former days, God spoke through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. The Son is the exact representation of His being and the radiance of His nature. So Jesus is masculine. Okay, He is male. <laughs> All right. So, but here's the deal. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to prevent the train wreck of the comfort culture, the 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 global trauma. And, and here's, what, here's what we found, is that if people do not have the assurance of abundance, if they have a poverty mentality, if they have a deprivation mentality, they're, they're just suckers for this moment. They're, they're just dry, tender men. And, and where do you develop that? Well, you do, and this is basic, basic psychology. You develop through healthy emotional attachment as a child. If you did not have healthy emotional attachment as a child, you will find it very difficult to believe that you are not on your own in this world. I got to make it happen. I got to come through, right? It's, it's all up to me. Okay. And if you believe that, and then something like the next shaking comes along, the economy falls apart, global war breaks out, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to melt. You got nothing. You got no resilience. You're, you're not going to do well. You just have to be realistic about the nature of the human soul. You need the assurance that you are loved and that you will be cared for, 
That's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is about, right? Give us this day our daily bread. You will meet my needs. You will meet my needs. I trust that. Most guys don't trust that. That's why they're scrambling like, like ducks, man. Their feet under the water. They're just going mad trying to make it happen, right? Because the fear is that if I don't scramble, life will fall apart. I got to tell you, that's a horrible worldview. And whenever you're talking about mother love in that chapter, what it did for me is it caused me to go back to the first time I read Wild at Heart, which was, gosh, you know, close to 20 years ago. Um, And you were talking about the father wound and I wasn't connecting. I wasn't connecting with anything in that chapter because I didn't have one of those. And then I inserted the word mother for father. It's like, okay, I get it. I get the entire concept now because mine is more so of a mother wound of exactly. a kind of a, the Oedipal mother as Jordan Peterson, you know, talks about so much, you know, this overbearing mother and, you know, all, all that type of stuff and the wounds that creates and how you view women moving forward. And now is not the time to put me on your couch and have you kind of, you know, dig into my brain as far as that goes. But I do think that that helps uh, for people that are maybe having a hard time swallowing that chapter. Guys, you'll obviously get it whenever you read the book. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, so let me just say this. So the mother wound is deeper than the father wound. How so? Because it comes first. Mm. This okay. is just this is just child development, folks. You mm-hmm. you don't nurse at your father's breast. It's like you know you're taking care of the two year old. Why? Well, because the newborn's with mom. Right. Getting his needs met. Okay. So the mother wound is deeper than the father wound, and I think that's going to blow a lot of guys' minds but I think it's going to bring them a lot of clarity in their life, including with their sexual issues, right? Because if, if women and femininity and all that gets screwed up early, man, it, it'll really, you know, then you chase, you chase that love through your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And then it's through, you know, the women that you purchase on the street and on and on it goes. Right. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Number one, you're a bigot. Uh, it's called chest feeding now. All right. And men can do it. I've been reliably informed about this. Uh, and secondly, to kind of bring it back to the, to the seriousness of it. And this is just me kind of being a little bit vulnerable with you in the audience as well. Like for me, my, my negative relationship that I have with my mother affects how I've viewed women. A lot of times I just want women to shut up. I'm like, I don't want to hear you. Why are you talking? Like, I, I don't want to hear you right now. I want you to be seen and not heard. Now, those are things that I would never really say out loud, but in my head, I'm just like, oh, I, I just, you're just talking. Oh, you're using your emotions, you're using tears to manipulate this situation. What's wrong with you? And th- like, think about how toxic that can be for your relationship with any woman, whether that yeah, be a girlfriend or, or, a, or a wife or a daughter or a, you know, somebody at work that uh, maybe your boss is female, something like that. It can cause so many issues. So that's interesting that you would say it's deeper than the father wound. That probably, uh, there's your idea for your next book, even though I think you probably got your next three or four mapped out just talking about the mother wound. But I do want to talk about something that you talked about in chapter chapter seven. So you bring up a lot of examples of movements or philosophies that wanted the kingdom without the king. So you talked about the Russian revolution and the Bolsheviks, the great leap forward in China, Hitler's Germany, John John Lennon's atrocity, which is imagine maybe the worst song ever written, but it's basically these, these entities that when you challenge their Eden agenda, which is how you worded it, I believe Eden agenda, they freak out. So I want to read this quick quote here. The governments of this world are growing dangerously oppressive. We can no longer 
no longer agree as a society on what is good and evil. There's no consensus now on what human beings were made to be, how we should live. So the fight for quote unquote justice at this point has collapsed into heavy handed policies for every human being to live any way they want to, no matter how far from what God created us to be. If you attempt to stand against these movements, you will be crucified with a sort of self-righteous vengeance that far surpasses any religious persecution. In a nutshell, John, that paragraph describes the world that we've been living in even pre-COVID, right? Where we have these people that are worshiping at the altar of leftism or uh, populism or rightism or wokeism or LGBTQism or BLMism. That's what we are worshipful beings. And so we will worship at the altar of something. And we're just so happening to throw ourselves behind these entities that are very postmodern. We don't have a delineating point of what is good and what is evil. If your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, then there's no such thing as good or evil because we might disagree. I felt like that was a very poignant point that you were making, but kind of, you know, help the audience understand why that goes back to your thesis of the resilience that we need to create in society today. Well, first off, you will have more of an opportunity to talk to those people if you understand that what they are trying to do is recover Eden, right? That the longing for justice is a good longing. Sure. That's not a bad thing. The, the longing for compassion and understanding, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But the problem is you cannot rebuild the world without its king. You can't. You cannot fix this world without Jesus Christ. And you should run from any movement that is trying to. Okay? Only, only the living God who made the world, and you can do this on the human soul level, only the living God who made an individual soul can bring about the restoration that's needed. And, and, and why is this important for resilience? Because there is in all of us a longing. Can't things just be good again? <laughs> right? Listen, man, I get it. I, me too. Right? Can't things just be good people? Okay. My thing is, can't you just live right? That's what, that's what comes out of my mouth. Can't you just live right, people? Okay. I, I have to be careful that that does not erode my resilience. I've got to remind myself, look. John, the kingdom of God is coming. The world is going to be set right. There is a day of justice coming. Are you kidding me? You read the prophets, you read the Psalms. Everybody else had their hopes set on this. But the comfort culture moved our hopes off of the kingdom of God and on to some sort of quick fix now. It's, it's not going to happen. And it's when your worldview gives no room for cosmic justice, you have to create justice. I think Thomas Sowell wrote an entire book about cosmic justice. And again, if you have no Judeo-Christian ethic, if you have no grounding in a biblical worldview, then you have to hit the streets for racial justice or something. You have to hit the streets for, uh, you know, reproductive justice or something like you just make it up and you will dedicate your entire life to it and you'll get it tattooed on your forearm. And that's what you're going to be living for. But it's really this overwhelming amount of being driven by emotion. And, and so in the book, 
you give some very practical advice about how to recover and become resilient. And we want to make sure that you guys go and buy the book. So we're not going to get into all that here. Uh, and you, you give some action steps as to kind of how we can recover in resilience. But there's a very, very short quote that I think will help with this point. We honor our emotions by acknowledging them. We bridle our emotions by keeping them subject to truth. Now, again, I've been reliably informed that there's no such thing as truth. There's only your truth and my truth and your lived experience and my lived experience. Now, emotions are not a bad thing. That's where some of these guys' movements swing way too far to the other side. It's, you know, bottle up all that, you know, take that German-Irish aggression and just push it down and maybe pour some whiskey on top of it, which is not good at all. But it's about the bridling of our emotions because right mm -hmm. now you have some idiot like Steve Kerr going out there because he's an expert on uh, public policy and gun movements going out there and banging the table during the NBA playoffs saying we've got to do something about gun violence. And yet he gives nothing specific in mind. He just says we got to do something. And everyone's like, oh, he's a hero and he's great. Why? Because he was emotional. Because they think his level of, of emotion equals his level of rightness or righteousness. Mm -hmm which it clearly does not. We need to have a sober discussion and understanding of any important topic, not an emotional one. But right now we don't do that, John. We worship at the altar of emotions. And it's like, oh, you seem really, really mad about this. I guess I should listen to you. Hey, we have 10,000 employees here and there's you know a dozen of them with you know face tattoos and purple hair that think that we shouldn't do this as a company. I guess we're supposed to listen to you because you're so fired up. Why, why do we succumb to that? Is it just because we're so polite? We're so nice. We don't want anyone to be mad. We want everybody to be chill. Is that why we're doing this? I, I'm struck by two things. <clears throat> it's really hard to be a good man in an hour like this, isn't it? Yeah. Because that's Absolutely. what you, yeah, that's what you and I are wrestling with right now. Um, because love is critical but love is not weak. And that's what we are groping our way towards is what does love look like when, it, when it's not just soft? What does love look like when it's masculine? What does love look like when it's tough? What does love look like when it takes a stand? And, and then the second thing I was struck by is I was listening to you. <clears throat> Jesus did it right. He did it right. And it says of him, he was full of grace and truth. You, you got to have both. You can't just be a truth guy, right? Because then you're going to get really hard and you're going to get really pissed. But you can't just be a grace guy be, because you've got to be grounded in something like truth. So I'm just naming what we are all grappling with is this is a very difficult hour to be a good man because it's not simple. It requires wisdom and strength. It requires love and understanding. You know, I, do, we need, do we need racial reconciliation? In a lot of places, we sure do. Yes, we do. Does that mean that we hate people who have been in power? No, that doesn't fix anything. Right. And so it's, I'm just naming. It's really difficult to walk in this, but he did it. He did it. So it must be possible. And we have to ask ourselves, what is love? Uh, what does love require of me? Because there are a lot of people that 
if they were to actually read the New Testament for themselves, they would, and this kind of goes back to your book, Beautiful Outlaw, they'd be like, ah, that didn't sound very loving. Jesus was kind of aggressive there. Like it's going to bother them that Jesus was so hateful towards sin and yet so loving towards the sinner. It doesn't make sense because in my personality, I'm drawn obviously more towards truth than I am towards grace. But again, we get this idea that Jesus was 50% truth and 50% grace. It's like, no, he was 100% both. He was fully lamb and fully lion all at the same time. And yet we can't fathom that because we're too dumb because our brains can't possibly fathom how we can be both of those things. But that's why I tell people all the time, people that are especially more so on the grace side, when you bring in truth, you're showing somebody love in a way that Jesus would show love because he never said to somebody, he never ignored their sin, but he gave them a way to where they could absolve themselves of that sin. And how great is that? So it's like whenever you're the, you know, disciplinarian dad or something like that, but you give no pathway to grace, you give no pathway to reconciliation, man, you're damaging that kid. But also if you just let the kid run towards traffic and light things on fire randomly, it's like, ah, I want to be his buddy. That's not really good either. Uh, but John, as we're, as we're wrapping to a close here, um, you know, normally I try to end my interviews with something pithy and fun. And maybe I do the, what would you say to someone that said, but you're like, you're the veteran of this podcast at this point. You, you've done a million podcasts. You've done this podcast seemingly a million times. So I don't want to set you up with any particular question. I'm going to set you up with a word. And that word is wisdom. As we part on our fourth appearance for you here on this show, what is your parting shot for wisdom for our audience for what they should be thinking through in this time in history? You have to develop a conversational relationship with God because you cannot figure out everything on your own. See, the thing about the grace and truth thing is it depends on the moment. It's not that it's one or other. It depends on the moment. It depends on the situation, right? What's needed in this situation? Is it discipline? Is it mercy? Is it, is it a hard moment? Is it a timeout, you know, or, or is it ice cream? It, it depends. It depends on the moment. You can't figure life out on your own. Friendship with the living God is available to you. Learn to hear his voice. Ask his opinion of things that you are about to do. I mean, right down to the level of the conversation you want to have with your wife tonight. I, I, God has rescued me so many times from blowing things up when he's like, not tonight. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Tonight's perfect. And he's like, don't even bring it up. I'm like, don't even bring it up. He's like, literally do not say a word. And it ends up being this massive rescue. So guys, this isn't about being geniuses in a postmodern meltdown. It, 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 nobody's got that. You can be friends with God. That's a great word to end on guys. Marinate in that thought, having a conversational relationship with Christ uh, and with God. It's just, it's an incredible uh, thing to think through and put that as a good filter for the devotionals that you're doing for the theological study that you're doing, the apologetic study as well, because there is a way where you can basically mentally masturbate. You can get a whole bunch of great facts in your brain, but if you don't have a relationship with the father, uh, the application of those facts is going to be a little bit stunted. So John elders, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Right on buddy. Thank you. Really good to see you again. John elders. Thank you for coming back on a daunted life of man's podcast.
There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed John Eldridge's fourth appearance on the show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got two links for you today. I've got a link to the Wild at Heart website, which is where you can get all things John Eldridge and all things Wild at Heart. But also I've got an Amazon link to the new book, Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.